Please open your Bibles this morning to the book of Proverbs. Here today we are beginning our fall sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Um, And my goal through this and my hope and prayer through this is that we as a church this fall would grow in wisdom. Not only wisdom, that we would grow in the fear of the Lord. A couple tools that we have to help you do that this fall is that hopefully on your way in you received one of these Proverbs Wisdom for Life booklets. These are just booklets for you to take notes during the sermon um, so that our goal by the end of the series is that you would have your own personal devotional guide for the book of Proverbs. These books will also be used in our community groups as they start up next week, is that the community groups are going to be focused on taking the application and principles and further applying them and looking at parallel passages. But part of that is going to be based upon what's discussed in the sermon on a weekly basis. So this also is a tool to help you to further your discussion in your community group. In addition, this year, we are continuing our focus of wanting us to hide God's word in our hearts. And as we strive to hide God's word in our hearts, hopefully you received a bookmark on your way in that says fighter verses on it. And as opposed to, we're integrating our verses here this fall in that the memory verses that we're working together as a church and doing together as a church are directly tied into the sermon. So, for example, today we're focusing on Proverbs 1-7, and so the memory verse this week is Proverbs 1-7. So that's on your bookmark. Also, as you go through this booklet, those same verses are printed out for you in the booklet so that you can learn them there as well. In addition, each week, I will be putting out a community group discussion guide, which has um, questions and further applications that our community groups will be using. You can also download that for you to use as your family to further the conversation um, in your family discussions. Now, let's turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. These initial verses in Proverbs are the introduction to the book of Proverbs. They are set apart to guide and to help us understand how we should read Proverbs how we should understand the book of Proverbs, what we should be looking for as we go into it and seek to apply it into our own lives. So follow along with me as I read this introduction in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, source of all wisdom and truth, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit into our midst to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word, to the wisdom of God, that it might be known and manifested in our life. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Proverbs, short little quips that people use to navigate life and to give uh, to give guidance for some aspect of life. So, you know, I sometimes hear ladies say a proverb like this, a moment on the hips, forever on the, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. I'm not a woman, sorry. <laughs> a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. Other proverbs we hear, many hands make light work, but too many cooks spoil the broth. Or from Will Rogers, don't squat with your spurs on. 
Proverbs, short, pithy little sayings that contain some element of truth that captures some aspect of life. Well, as we come into the book of Proverbs, we're going to be looking at three major chunks this morning. One, in order to rightly understand Proverbs over the next several weeks, we need to gain some background information in terms of what Proverbs are, why they're there, and why God gives us Proverbs and how we should properly use them. Secondly, what we're going to be looking at are the goals of Proverbs that, the, that the, these opening verses set out for us as to why or the, what the purpose and the goals of the book of Proverbs should be in our life. And thirdly, we're going to look at how we begin on this journey towards wisdom, um, this journey towards wisdom that God calls us to. So, first aspect of background for us to look at is, what is a proverb? And what we see here is that proverb, notice that verse 1 says, the Proverbs of Solomon. We cannot skip over that. That's a very crucial thing. Why? Because a proverb is not a promise. God is, the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. They are not guarantees. A proverb is what usually happens. It's the normal case. They are generalizations about life, about what normally happens. In Scripture, you have the book of Proverbs, as wisdom literature, but you also have two other books, the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job, which are also considered wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes and Job explore the perplexities and the, anom- and the anomalies of life. But Proverbs focuses on what normally happens, what usually happens. And so it's important for us to understand that these are Proverbs and that they're not a promise. One example of this comes in Proverbs chapter 22, a verse that some of you are very familiar with. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a proverb. It's not a promise. That affects how we understand it and affects how we apply it in our life. And indeed, some people who interpret it as a promise use that as a litmus test against other people as they evaluate their families. But it's not a promise. It's a proverb. So too is that the book of Proverbs and Proverbs and individual Proverbs, that the book of Proverbs is not a rule book. It's not set up to be like, well, just look up the rule for how to live life. Indeed, the disparity in Proverbs makes it apparent that you cannot use Proverbs as a rule book. For example, here's the rule. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Answer not. A fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest, be, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which is it? Do I answer a fool according to his folly, or do I not answer a fool according to his folly? The point is that there's a situation in which that applies that the wise will understand. And as such, we cannot use this as a rule book, and it'll be wrong to, to apply Proverbs and to, and to use it as a rule book. So then, what is a proverb? Quite simply, a proverb is a wise saying. It's a quip about some aspect of daily life. And that gives us a picture of what a proverb is. Next thing we need to understand about the background here is, why do we need proverbs? Why do we need them? I mean, why is this genre of Scripture, why is this genre of literature included in Scripture? I mean, we've got the narrative historical accounts of the ways that God has acted in history. We have the law that God has given. We have didactic letters written by Paul about specific situations and explaining theological truths to us. Why do we have this genre of Proverbs? 
Quite simply, it is because life is not black and white. Indeed, every one of us has faces decisions every day that have to be made, oftentimes in gray areas. In each of us, in facing these decisions, there are situations that we need to apply truth and apply principles to what are often very complex situations. We need to connect the right action, the right response with the situation that we are dealing with. God's truth, the word of God, is unchanging. His law is unchanging. But the application of God's truth varies on the setting that we are faced with. The application of it changes depending upon the circumstances. And what happens is that though God's truth is unchanging, we need to rightly apply that truth in the situations that we are dealing with. So too, the other reason why Proverbs is here is that there is more to a God-honoring life than following the rules. It's like the prayer of a child, Dear God, please make the bad people good and make the good people nice. What's it getting at? Is that it's entirely possible to live by the rules, to be a good person and to be ugly about it. To be upright and ugly. To do all of the right things, but yet your life not to be a reflection of joy and wisdom and grace. And so too, God has given us Proverbs so that we would see what a God-honoring life lived in response to his grace looks like for us. Not only that, Proverbs gives us situational applicability. It helps us apply the truths in specific situations. In some senses, you could, might say, I might say, that the book of Proverbs is like the Pax River of the Bible. Is that Proverbs is the test facility of life. In 1903, when the Wright brothers flew their airplane for the first time, they knew it was going to fly. I mean, they weren't 100% certain. They'd never flown it before, but they knew it was going to fly. Well, how did they know it was going to fly? Well, they had made models, and they had put wings and different wings designed inside of an air tunnel, and they had made prototypes, and they had tested them out so that when they actually got in their airplane for the first time, they were highly confident that it was going to fly. And what the book of Proverbs does for us is it allows us to explore real-life situations with the prototype is that Proverbs gives us you know, the concept demonstration in the virtual reality of the book of Proverbs. It allows us to see and to understand how situations work out, what they result from, what the course of action is and the course of wisdom is in different situations that we are faced with, much like a test facility. And that is why God has given us Proverbs. Another background thing we need to examine is how is Proverbs different than other Proverbs that we face with? How is Proverbs different than your fortune cookie? How is it different than, you know, ancient Chinese Proverbs say, fill in the blank? Well, we see the insight in this in verse 1, where it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Here's why that's significant. Because what it is telling us is that the book of Proverbs is given to the people of God. It is given to the covenantal community. 
It is given to the community in which God's Spirit is at work, shaping, forming, and working in the lives of his people and the lives of his community. And so Proverbs is given with the context of this is for people in whom the Spirit of God is working. So too, how Proverbs is different is that Proverbs is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom with which God created the world. It's the wisdom with which God formed the foundations of this universe. It is the wisdom of God that is the warp and the woof, the the fibers, the interwoven fibers of the the entire created order. And that is why Proverbs works. That is why it works. Because when you are imitating wisdom, you are imitating God. And when you are imitating God, you are imitating and manifesting his wisdom, imitating and manifesting his wisdom in our life. So what happens then is understanding that this is the wisdom of God, that this was given to a community of people in which the Holy Spirit is at work in, all of a sudden, Proverbs opens up. And the biblical view of understanding that God is given to this as a picture of his, of his spirit at work in people, all of a sudden it opens up the meaning of many of the things that are described in Proverbs. The meanings of life and money and sex and relationships and power and speech and everything in our lives that Proverbs shows us God's will being worked out, his wisdom being manifested in every aspect of our lives. Proverbs is the wisdom of God. It shows the life of the work, I'm sorry, it shows the work of the Holy Spirit in the daily life of a believer. Sometimes as Christians, you know, you become a Christian, you're following Jesus, you're like, well, what does this look like in my life? I mean, how how does this mean how I'm actually supposed to live? Well, Proverbs shows us. And the reason why it shows us is not to lay a burden upon us, but to say, here is a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in a person's life. Here is how the Holy Spirit renews and regenerates a person to show what a restored humanity can be, to show what the Holy Spirit looks like in daily life and in daily behavior. So, that's how Proverbs is different. It has the working of the Holy Spirit in revealing the wisdom of God. Those are a couple elements of the background that we need to understand in order to rightly approach Proverbs. Second thing we're looking at here as we begin is what is the goal of Proverbs? What is the goal of the book of Proverbs? Verse 2 lays it out for us. It says this, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. For those of you that are into grammar, you'll notice that there are a series of infinitives in the following verses. You don't see this in the English version, but the Hebrew construct actually delineates the two infinitives in verse 2 from the following ones, such that verses 3 through 6 are subsidiary to what's going on in verse 2, and that's clearer in the Hebrew than it is in the English. For those of you that just tuned me out, (laughs) please check back in. So, (laughs) what is the goal of Proverbs? It's godly character and clear thinking. We see this here in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. That is, to know that not just information, 
but that wisdom and instruction would be the experiential reality of our lives. That wisdom and instruction would be manifested in our lives and manifested in our, in our, in our interactions. To know wisdom and instruction, for that to be manifested. What is that? That's godly character. And the second thing is to understand words of insight. What is that? That's clear thinking. We'll come back to that in a minute. But to know wisdom and instruction. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is more than being smart. Wisdom is more than information. I think one of the things that the internet has done for us is showed us that, has shown us that information and access to information doesn't make you wise nor does it really make you smart. But what is wisdom? It is the right application of knowledge. It is rightly applying knowledge in our lives. And the definition that we'll be working through this over this fall is this, is that wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. It is skill in the art of godly living, in the gray areas of life. And, when, and what happens when the skill and the art of godly living gets manifested in our lives, when we know wisdom and instruction, what does that look like? It's godly character, the goal that God has for us going through the book of Proverbs. In verses 3 and 4, this idea of the goal of godly character is expounded further. But in verse 3, it's described from a student's perspective of what godly character looks like. Verse 3 says, What does godly character look like from a student's perspective? To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, in equity. That from a student's perspective, what does godly character look like? To receive instruction. That is, to receive instruction requires humility. To receive instruction in these different areas of life means to acknowledge That we are not born wise. Indeed, we are born simple. Indeed, some of us never move past that. That we are born needing instruction. And verse 3 lays out different areas. To receive instruction in wise dealings. To receive instructions in our interactions with other people, in our business dealings, in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the ways that we exchange and relate to other people. To receive instruction in righteousness, that is in acting rightly for how we live our lives, the personal decisions that we make. It says to receive instruction in justice. Justice, if righteousness is about how I act, justice is bringing that about for somebody else. It's a bringing, it is justice is bringing about rightness for other people. Bringing about rightness in other people's lives, particularly those that have less power than us and those that have less access or authority than us. To bring about, to receive instruction finally in equity. It is in being fair and not living life to take advantage of everyone else around you. And from the student's perspective, these are the things that generate godly character. Verse 4 through 5 describe what godly character, the goals of godly character from the teacher's perspective. Verse 4 and 5. The goal of Proverbs, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands 
obtain guidance. It's describing here from the teacher's perspective to give prudence to the simple. Prudence is a word that's not viewed too highly in our day and age, but what is prudence? It's shrewdness. Prudence is the the good kind of cunning. Prudence is making the right decision when it really counts and everything is lying on the line and the stakes are high. To give prudence, it says knowledge and discretion. What is knowledge? It's the truth that we are born into God's world. We are made and created in God's image. What that means is that everything we interact with is God's and from God's and from God. And there for us to have knowledge is we need to know how God's world works and how we as his image bearers work within it. That is knowledge. To give knowledge and discretion. What's discretion? Discretion is the savvy that discerns truth from error, wisdom from folly. Discretion is the insight that helps us to outfox our own temptations when we would swindle ourselves. From the teacher's perspective, these are the aspects of godly character. Second goal of Proverbs is to have clear thinking. Verse 2, the second half of verse 2 says, to understand words of insight. It's described further in verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That is, that we would have clear thinking. As a child, one of the things that I really enjoyed when my extended family got together was I loved hearing the stories and the foibles of my relatives as they would all gather together. And quite frankly, it was an incredible exercise in learning wisdom from their folly. I loved it. But for most of the conversations that I sat through until I was significantly older, I sat in these conversations and I heard the words that were being said, but I didn't comprehend their meaning. And I didn't comprehend the deeper points of the story that were being told. So too, there are many who come to church regularly, come to church on a weekly basis. Maybe some of you hear that you come to church often or periodically, and you come and you hear the words that are being said, but you're not comprehending the message. You're not understanding the truth that God's scripture is revealing. And God has given us Proverbs to help us have clear thinking that we would understand and comprehend the meaning behind the words that are being said. And so that through both of these things, the pursuit of godly character and the pursuit of clear thinking, that through these things that we would become profound people, that we would become wise people in whom wisdom and knowledge and instruction is manifested in godly character and clear thinking. And these are the goals that the book of Proverbs has for us. These are the goals that the book of Proverbs has for the simple, that is, those who are not firmly committed to wisdom or folly, those who are easily swayed by different opinions and the things that, come, that, that they come across in their world day to day. These are the goals that God has given to us for the youth in this church, that you who are younger would grow and make wise choices that your life might be full. These are the goals that God has given for the wise, 
that they would find more wisdom. Because one mark of the wise is that they acknowledge and know that they need more wisdom. And quite frankly, as you age, as you get older, it is easy to become stagnant. Life has worked for most of your life, or at least to where you are right now. And you've gotten to that point, and if you're at the point where your kids have moved out of the house, you know what? It's time for you to coast. At least that's what everyone says around us. To coast, and it's easy to get lazy. But the wise know that they need to pursue wisdom. And they need to pursue wisdom, wise, so they would grow in godly character and clear thinking. So that's a bit about the background. That's also about the goals that Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has for us. Well, how do we begin? How do we grow in wisdom? Proverbs 1.7 lays it out clearly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because you are in America, for the majority of you, you were born in America. For those of you that weren't born in America, you were educated in America, or at least educated in a Western system, educational system. And because of that reality, because you are here in America today, that is proof that you have been trained and indoctrinated with the view that the beginning of knowledge is yourself. This idea that the beginning of knowledge in yourself has been inculcated into every aspect of our society. That the beginning of knowledge comes from you. What you see, what is real is what you touch, what is true is what you hear, what you taste, what you smell, what you deduce from your own experience and from your own logic and from your own reasoning. That is what is true. That has not always been the case. That's a view that was introduced into Western culture about 300 years ago. It was a view that subsequently changed our civilization. It was a view that's been expressed through the writing of Descartes and other other humanists. For those of you that um, don't know those names, what subsequently happened is that these men's, the view of these men has impacted and shaped your thinking every day of your life with the view that knowledge begins with yourself. Let me give you an example of that. How many times have we said, have you said, have I said, when you're in a difficult situation, when you are faced with something unlike anything that you've ever experienced before, maybe you're dealing with a tragedy, maybe you're dealing with a crisis and you are faced with a difficult situation and you don't know which way to go, and someone comes to you and they offer you their opinion and they give you counsel on what you should do. How often have we responded to that by saying, have you gone what I've gone through? Do do you know what I've experienced? You you can't speak to me. You haven't gone through what I have gone through. You haven't experienced it. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And the reason why we express that is because of this view started 300 years ago that knowledge begins with ourselves. And knowledge originates with myself. So what is true for me is what I've known and what I've experienced. And you can't speak into my life unless you have had that same experience because what is real is what originates from my senses and what I deduce from my own reasoning. But what the book of Proverbs says is, no, that is false. The knowledge, that the beginning of knowledge is not yourself, but rather that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not yourself, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning in Hebrew here meaning that it is the foundation. 
that it is the threshold, that it is the first principle upon which other things build, that knowledge starts with God and moves towards us. We see that clearly in that God created the world. This is his world. We're created in his image. All knowledge that we have comes from God. But it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now you might hear that and say, wait a second. I know a lot of people who know a lot of stuff and have a lot of knowledge and they don't fear the Lord. Right? But what the text here is saying is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is there a knowledge that you can have apart from the fear of the Lord? Of course there is. But it's a knowledge without a foundation. It's knowledge without a basis. It's knowledge without the foundation upon which it's information without the foundation upon which that information should be built. And that the foundation of knowledge and subsequently the right application of that knowledge, the skill in godly living, the foundation for knowledge and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? It says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord is not the cringing terror in the face of whimsical malice like some of our brothers and sisters are facing under ISIS in the Middle East. That's not the fear of the Lord that's being described here. So too, nor is fear the fear of a slave who has crossed his master who is about to be punished. That is not what's described as the fear of the Lord. Rather, the fear of the Lord is the profound awe and respect that God is God and that I am not, and that I live every moment, every breath that I take, every bite of food that I have, the air that I breathe, that I live every moment wholly on the mercy and grace of God, that I live in this present moment before a God who is the creator God and that my whole life is sustained only by his mercy and grace at this present moment. The fear of the Lord is a profound respect of God. It is an openness to him, a humility, a humility to be taught by him and a willingness to follow him. It is the hatred of evil and sin. It is a deep love for God. Now, anytime the fear of the Lord is discussed, it's an image that bears repeating, and indeed it probably bears a quote that bears repeating, and indeed probably bears repeating at least once a year anyway. And that comes from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the four children move into Narnia, which is this other world, and they begin to understand that the world has been this other world, this fantasy world, this other world, Narnia, has been taken over by the white witch who has frozen the entire world. But however, with the arrival of the children, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is the great lion. Aslan is the Christ figure who is bringing about, who will melt the frost of the white witch and will bring about spring and bring about new life. And the children begin to learn about Aslan and the Mr. and Mrs. Beaver tell them that they need to go see Aslan and go meet with Aslan. And so Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are describing, describing Aslan to the children. And they describe Aslan this way. They say, Aslan is a lion. He is the lion. He is the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. 
Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And through that, Susan and Lucy began to learn the fear of Aslan. That Aslan was a lion in whom the power of the universe was contained in his breath and in his very paws. But he was a lion who was good and who was king. And so, too, the fear of the Lord is to come before God, the Lion of Judah, and to acknowledge and to know that he is God, that he is the Almighty God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, that I live every moment dependent upon his mercy and grace, that he is the God of the universe of whom all power is held in the word that he speaks. And it is this God who is not safe, but who is good and who is the king. May we grow in the fear of the Lord that that picture begins to show us. But I want to give something a bit more specific for us to do in order to know the fear of the Lord, for us to begin to grow in understanding what the fear of the Lord is. And Ray Ortland puts it this way. He says, If you would like to experience God with that humility, the fear of the Lord, here is how you can. You look at the cross. You see a wise man hanging there, dying in the place of fools like you because he loves you. You may despise him, but he does not despise you. You may be above him, but he humbled himself for you. Look there at him. Look away from yourself, look at him, and keep looking until your pride melts. And you will not only worship, you will begin to grow wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And may, through God's word and the movement of his spirit, may we grow in godly character. And in clear thinking, may we know wisdom and instruction and understand words of insight. That is, may we grow and know the fear of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God of wisdom, source of all light and all truth, Lord, we ask that you would send and shine your light into our darkness that we might see clearly, that we might see you. Father, we do pray that your wisdom would be manifest in our life, that your spirit would be at work, that our lives would be beautiful with wisdom, that you would be honored. Father, grow us in the fear of the Lord. Lord, fix our eyes upon Jesus the wisest man who ever lived, and yet who was considered a fool. Lord, may we fix our eyes on him and indeed become wise and grow wise and manifest your wisdom in our life. It is in in his name we pray. Amen.